welcome to episode number 70 of Bill Man the Sport Guys podcast. I am your host, Bill Man, where I get to report you the latest weekly news from the NFL, NBA, MLB, and NHL. Already, everybody, we're going to start off with the NFL. Now, there's not a lot that has really happened as of this week, other than one interesting stat that I will give to you. And, and I got a question for you all that now... For any of that, you can follow me on Twitter at BillManSports and Instagram at BillManSportsGuy for your thoughts and opinions. This stat I have you is Tom Brady only needs 39 more passing touchdowns to become the Bucks' all-time franchise leader. He played his first game with the Bucks at the age of 43. So let me know your thoughts on if he's going to become the gr- if he's go- not only will he be the greatest quarterback ever to ever live. But will he also become the greatest quarterback in Tampa Bay Buccaneers franchise history? You guys let me know your thoughts on that. And now into Major League Baseball. Now, very, very special guest to do the interview is former Major League pitcher and 1997 World Series champion Don Paul. Hello, guys. Joining me today is former Major League pitcher and World Series champion Don Paul. Don, thank you for joining. Happy to be here. It's, it's great to be here. It's a beautiful summer, and the baseball's going on, and I love talking baseball, so let's shoot away. So the first one... What got you into baseball, and who was your all-time favorite baseball player growing up? Hmm. Um, I just loved baseball growing up, so that's what got me into it. My my father was a big influence, and uh, you know he was my coach for a number of years. And when I was young, I loved playing baseball. Loved it uh, the summer, even when they're watching the games. So. I just love playing. I just love playing the game. And I wanted to keep playing uh, after high school and at college. And, uh, you know, I tried out for the team there and made the team as a walk-on in college because nobody Ooh. recruited me previously. Ooh. And I, um, yeah, so that's why I just kept playing. and got better and better and ended up getting drafted and playing in the major league. So uh, that's, that's what kind of got me into it. It was just my love. Love for the game, really. Just loved playing, and just thought it was cool to just keep playing. Um, my favorite players growing up, you know, one of my favorite players really was Ferguson Jenkins on the Cubs. Ooh. He was one of my favorite guys to watch just because I loved the way he had such great control, great poise out there. He didn't walk anybody. He was just very smooth and fluid. So um, I, I kind of modeled my pitching after him um, at the start. And then later on, you know, not saying one of my favorites, but probably the reason I got to the major leagues was because of uh, Bruce Suter on the Cubs. Again, I grew up a White Sox fan, but there's a couple players in the Cubs I really liked. (laughs) The reason Bruce Suter was such an influence on me was because he threw that split finger. And I was messing around and, 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 and throwing like a fork ball when I was a teenager, you know, 16 years old or something. I was throwing this fork ball. And because of him, and eventually the fork ball and split fingers were what got me to the major leagues. And 
I would have never gotten to the major leagues if I didn't start messing around with it because of watching Bruce Sutter pitch. Awesome. Okay, so my next one. In your freshman year of college at the University of Illinois, the college baseball team, you were cut as a freshman. How were you able to refocus and keep on improving throughout your college career and into the big leagues? Well, that's, so it is very true. So I got I tried out for the baseball team as a freshman of college. I was not recruited by anybody in high school. I wasn't good enough. I was the I was one of the better players on my high school team, but it wasn't even like all conference or any of those accolades that, that you can get. And I just went to college for the education down at the University of Illinois. And while I was there, I said, you know, I love playing baseball. I'd love to keep playing more in college. I think that'd be cool. I'm gonna go try out for the team. So I tried out for the team, and I got cut. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, kind of like, what do you expect? So I went to watch one of the practices that the team was having one day just to see how good these guys really were. And I'm watching them, and I'm thinking, you know, I think I can play with these guys. I, I don't think they're that far ahead of me. I think I can play for them. So I decided I'm going to try out again my sophomore year. So I got as ready as I could be, and I tried out my second year, my sophomore year, to make the team. And uh, so this is going to be my last shot at it. And fortunately, I made the team. And it's funny because the coach later on asked me, well, how come you didn't try out last year? And I told him I did. I was here. <laughs> He's like, wow, you were? He goes, boy, he goes, you, you know, didn't, I don't remember you at all. So I made the team. Um, after two seasons of playing there, my record was a pitcher with five wins and 12 losses. Ooh. And um, my teammates, friends of mine, told me, hey, you got a chance to break a record here. I said, that'd be cool. What for? They said career losses. The record's 15, and you already have 12. You're a lock. I was like, oh, my goodness. I don't want that. <laughs> so my last year there, I, I got better. The team got a lot better, and I ended up going with 13 wins and one loss. I broke a record for most wins in the season. So, And a lot of it had to do because the team got a lot better because the team helps you out so much, you know, offensive, defensively. For sure. So when I was able to get drafted, yes, for sure. So I got drafted by the of all teams, the White Sox, my favorite hometown team, and I had to work my way up through the minor leagues and things. Um, you know, and I, I was trying to tell myself, you know, I didn't have all the talent. You know, going to your question of what kept me going, I didn't have all the talent like some of these other draft picks. I got drafted 23rd round. Some of these guys, you know, most guys were drafted ahead of me. They had more talent. They got big bonuses. You know, I didn't throw the fastball nearly as hard as some of these guys. I just told myself, hey, I've got to just give it my all. Uh, I, I never want to look in the mirror and say, what if? You know, what if I gave it my all? What if I wasn't out uh, late nights partying and things and I wasn't physically as ready as I could be? You know, I always wanted to say I gave it my absolute best shot to get to the major leagues. Uh, I don't take anything for granted. Uh, I always said I wanted to try to improve every single day somehow, you know, so, so that was, I was fortunate, you know, a lot of fortunate because I, I had good health, a lot of guys hurt their arms and got injured, uh, a lot of guys were out partying and, and, and doing things that didn't help out their career, that helped me because it, it took one more guy out of the way that helped me get to the major league, so, uh. You know, so there's a lot of keeping the nose to the grindstone, as they say, 
and working super hard and never taking it for granted and uh, going all out all the time. You know, because I, I didn't have the opportunity to coast or take a, a couple of weeks off because uh, you know, a couple of bad outings for me, I could have been sent home pretty quickly. So I was very fortunate, though. Now, jumping on to the draft, in 1985, you were drafted by the Chicago White Sox in the 23rd round. How did it feel to get drafted by your hometown team? <laughs> Billy, I'll tell you what, it was the absolute best best feeling in the world. You know, it's, it's one thing to get drafted at all, by any team at all, is just the best, most awesome feeling for, for someone who loves playing baseball. But then on top of it, to get drafted by the team that you grew up rooting for, that you live 30 minutes away from the ballpark, uh, it's just unbelievable. I mean, that was just, I was like a dream, really, to be able to play and get drafted by the White Sox organization, you know, because I was a fan, I knew about, uh, a lot about the players, so to go into the, the minor leagues and work my way up through that organization uh, was just so, so awesome. And even now, you know, because now I'm like still like an ambassador for the team, because I played there for five years. Uh, my name is kind of around. I mean, I'm not a big name person by any means, but most people on the South Side know my name, know who I was. Uh, thought I did a pretty good job for the team. So the White Sox had me as one of their uh, numerous ambassadors to come on out sometimes and mingle with the fans and sign autographs and things. And it, it's just so cool to still be part of the White Sox family in a way. So I, I am so, so fortunate. On August 1st, 1988, you made your major league debut against the Oakland Athletics. How did it feel standing on the Comiskey ballpark field on that day? Just, you know, nerve-wracking, of course. Uh, you know, so awesome to, to be there. Okay, so that was the first day I got called up to the major leagues, August 1st, uh, in front of, you know, my, a lot of my family and friends were there, uh, you know, parents and brothers and grandparents and stuff like that were all there to watch it. Um, I got in the game, we were losing, we were getting killed by the Oakland A's 10 to 1. So they threw me in the game in the ninth inning just to get a little, a little experience at it. And sure, it's nervous, you know, you know but it was so cool. I, I always kind of look at it as I got to be on that side of the fence. You know, the side of the fence that the players are on on the field as opposed to the other side of the fence where all the fans are at. So it was so cool for me to be on this side of the fence to be able to play on the field there, you know, after being a fan and watching all the time. Um, you know, so it was definitely nerve-wracking. But fortunately, uh, my catcher at the time was Ron Karkovice in that game who caught me in AAA, so I was familiar with him. A couple of guys that were in the infield, I played with in AAA also. So there was some familiarity anyway, so it wasn't all strange. I felt a little bit comfortable. And you know what then? So the first guy I faced hits a double. Next guy gets a base hit and scores the run. So runner on first, a run in, and I'm standing on the mound thinking, okay, my, my ERA is infinity right now. We are welcome to the major league. So uh, it worked out, though. The next guy hit into a double play. The next guy hey. struck out. So 
So I got out of all that. I came in the dugout, and the manager was Jim Fergosi. And I knew we were down like 10 to 2 or something at the time. And I told him, hey, hey, coach, you know, if we tie up the game, am I still in the game? You know, it's kind of joking, you know, if we score eight runs, am I, just, am I still going to be in there? And he just kind of laughed at me and just that was about it. But it was a great experience uh, it, it just for me to be able to do that. One of the best things ever. Next one. Throughout, throughout your time with the White Sox, you played with guys such as Carlton Fisk, Robin Ventura, Frank Thomas, Jack McDowell, and many others. What was it like to learn from the top players, and do you have any stories you can share? <laughs> uh, sure, yeah. It was, it was great to be able to play with some of these guys, you know, especially at first like, uh, guys like Carlton Fisk and Harold Baines. Uh, Ron Kittle, guys that I was watching when I was a fan, you know, so I was a fan watching these guys as a Sox fan, and now to get to be able to play with these guys was just just so cool. Um, you know, so uh, story, I guess, I guess the first time I pitched to Carlton Fisk, you know, I was very nervous facing him, you know, I knew he's like a Hall of Famer. So I'm on the mound, and, and you know, and he's back there catching me, so I was one of the most nervous times I ever had. So I'll tell you a quick story of pitching to him one time and how smart the guy is. So I'm on the mound, I'm facing Robin Yount, who's also a Hall of Famer. Okay, and I, my main pitch is a split-finger fastball and a forkball, kind of off-speed pitches. Ooh. Carlton Fisk wants me to keep throwing fastballs inside. He wants fastballs inside, even though my fastball wasn't that hard. He wants me to throw these fastballs inside to keep these hitters off the plate so they're not leaning over for my off-speed pitch. So I look into the sign for Colin Fisk. He gives me a sign, fastball in. I'm like, okay, I'll throw a fastball in. And Robin Young, I throw a fastball in, strike one. I'm like, okay, now I'm sure we're going to go back to the fourth ball or split finger or something because those are my best pitches. I look in for the sign, fastball in. Huh. All right, I'll throw it again. Throw this fastball in again, strike two. I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is perfect. He's seen two fastballs. Now there's no doubt I'm going to throw a fork ball because he hasn't seen this pitch yet. And there's no doubt I'll throw that and he'll be done. I look into the sign to call him Fisk. He gives me fastball in again. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, there's no way. Finally, I get the nerve enough to shake him off. You know, I don't want to shake off Carl Fisk. So I get the nerve to shake him off. He looks at me. And he shakes me off, and he's nodding his head up and down, saying, yes, yes, throw this pitch. Okay. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I've never had a catcher shake off my shake-off before. I'm like, what do I do here? <laughs> so, <laughs> That's crazy. I'm thinking, well, it's Carlton Fisk. He shook me off. I'm throwing his pitch. <laughs> I threw a fastball inside. Robin yells, swings. He's a broken bat, a little ground ball. Robin Ventura third. Easy easy out, throws my first base. I look in at home plate at Carlton Fisk. He's standing there with his hands on his hips, looking at me, just nodding his head. Just like, okay, just listen to me, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that just shows you know, how smart he is. He just knew what the hitter was looking for. And, you know, so it helps. It's like having a cheat sheet and a test to have him back there catching me. So that, that's how awesome it is to have that going on. You know, and the other hitters, too, and other players, you know, it helped a lot because I always liked picking other guys' brains. You know, Jack McDowell, uh, you know, hey, what do you 
what you know, what are you looking at? What do you throw in this kind of situation? You know, talking to some of the hitters, you know, Harold Baines, Frank Thomas. Hey, if you're hitting off a guy like me, what are you looking for when it counts two and zero? What are you looking for in a first pitch? You know, so you you know by listening to these guys, um, it helps me be a better player. I always wanted to take the the point of view that you know if I'm not learning and getting better every day, then basically I'm getting worse. You know, so I I, I knew I was not going to be the smartest guy out there. There's so much intelligence out there to try to get from other people. So it helps so much to talk to other players and try to get yourself more and more uh, more knowledge and get smarter every day. It can be nothing but help you down the road. All right. In 1990, actually, wait. Oh, I'm sorry. You got your first taste of postseason baseball in 1993. How did it feel to play October baseball? Well, I didn't really get a taste of it because in 1993 I got traded from the White Sox to the Phillies on September 1st, um, which was crushing for me because, I, again, I grew up a White Sox fan, uh, played on the team when the team was not good, and then as a, eventually they got good. In 1993 they were going to the playoffs, so I couldn't wait to represent my hometown team in the playoffs. Well, on September 1st, they traded me to the Philadelphia Phillies, um, which I thought was crushed to have to leave my hometown and all the people I knew to go to this strange town and place. Um, and so I played there, but I really enjoyed my time with the Phillies. It was a great experience. The, the only downside was I got traded after September 1st, after, after the trade deadline, so I was not eligible for the postseason. So even though I pitched there all September, I was not eligible to be on the field for the postseason with the Phillies. So I was able to go and go to all the games as a fan. I was able to travel with them uh, and sit in the seats and stuff. Uh, but I didn't get to be on the field as a player, though, unfortunately. So it was still a very cool thing. Um, but I was bummed out I didn't get any postseason with either team, as it turned out. Here we go. In 1997... You won a World Series with the Miami Marlins, and Jim Leland was your manager. How did the team rally together to win the championship? Well, that's another one where I'm not 100 sure on how it all went because I was only in the major leagues four days that year. So I got called off to the major leagues in uh, I don't forget when it was June, July, August, sometime in the summer. For only four days, the rest of the time I was in AAA with them. So um, I didn't get a chance to spend enough time to know how they were gelling, you know, what was the key for it all. Um, but one big thing I can tell you about that team, though, was they had a lot of veteran players, a lot of good, successful veteran players on the team, uh, including Darren Dalton as, as a catcher of the team. Um, catcher, which was huge because of his experience um, and leadership was a big factor to that team, you know, getting to the World Series and, and, uh, and, and winning the World Series. So they had a, a bunch of guys, because after that season, they let a lot of these guys go as free agents. They kind of like rented a team almost for, for a year or two, uh, signed these guys, you know, you know, for only a year or so and put together a, like an all-star team. Uh, had a couple of good leaders on it, 
and they fortunately they had the success that they needed, and after that they had to trade everybody away and start all over again. Okay. Um, so after coming back to the Miami Marlins for the 1998 season, how determined were you to give good a good performance for the team? Well, for sure. Every time I'm there, I want to do the very best I could um, every outing I was out there. You know, because like I said before, you know, I knew that, you know, I never was, I was a guy who never had like a guaranteed three-year deal for millions of dollars or things like that. I was always, you know, year by year, you know, uh, sign a contract and knowing that if I had a bad two weeks, I could be shipped out to the mile lakes or so. So I had nothing, uh, you know, no, no cushion to just kind of take it easy. So I had to be focused. Uh, I'm doing as well as I could every single day that I was out there. And that probably helped me be the best I could be. Again, with, with the little talent I had to be able to compete with these guys, I think that maybe helped me uh, somehow as we went along. So, yeah, that was 1998 uh, that you're talking about. And, again, I started out in the minor leagues that year, got called up to the major leagues uh, towards the end of the season and spent a couple of months there. And... Uh, yeah, it was you know, again. Every day was was was, was a, a tough one out there, and that was a tough year for the Marlins because, like I said, they traded away all their good players, so they had really had a bad year, and you know, not many good players left there. And uh, uh, but still, any, and you cherish any time that you get, get in the major leagues, and that was good times for me as well too. In 1999, you retired from Major League Baseball. How difficult was it to step away from the game that you grew up playing and that you loved playing throughout your whole life? That's a really tough one, Billy. You know, it was it was certainly tough um, to give that up. You know, but you, you got to know that there's a time when it's probably over for you. You know, when you're if you're not getting hitters out. You know, they, 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 hitters kind of tell you when your time is up around there. When you, if you're not getting hitters out, if you're not fooling them, um, you know, it, it, you know it's kind of the end of the road. You know, and at that point, I played seven full years in the major leagues. Uh, you know, I think it was probably 15 years or so, come full between the major leagues and the minor leagues. You know, parts of 10 years in the majors even. Um, so I got plenty of time up there. Had some great experiences. Yeah, I was married. At that point, I was married. We had two young children. You know, so I, I didn't want to keep dragging them around the country if I was going to be in the minor leagues. If I was in the major leagues, that's one thing. If I was going to be in the minor leagues and, and struggling to try to get back up to the major leagues again for a, for a week or so, at that point in my life, it just wasn't worth it. You know, so I, I had to you know bite the bullet and make the decision that uh, I'm going to be done. Uh, would go home and, and start a second career uh, and stay home with the family and, uh, and and relish whatever things I've accomplished, you know, in my career. Um, it, was, it was a heck of a lot more than anybody expected out of me, you know, for a guy who wasn't even recruited out of high school and got cut from his college team. Um, so I had a lot, a lot going forward, and that was just, just very appreciative. So earlier this year, 
you had your high school baseball number retired. How did it feel to have that honor and and come back and have the memories there? That was such a cool thing. You know, so I went to Evergreen Park High School, and they were going to retire. They called me and they wanted to retire my number and one other player's number, too, a guy named Jim Aducci, who played at Evergreen Park High School, too. We were the only two players who played coming out of our high school to end up playing in the major leagues. So they wanted to retire both our numbers. And it just so happened that they had just rebuilt a brand-new field, baseball field, at Evergreen Park. Um, and, like, this was the first year using it. So that's what spurred them to say, hey, let's retire these guys' numbers. You know, it was a beautiful AstroTurf field with lights over there. It's just unbelievable, beautiful place they've got there. So it was a, just a terrific honor. You know, they started by asking me what, was, what number was I in high school that they could retire because they didn't know. I didn't know. I don't re- I'm like, I don't remember what number I was in high school. I had to look it up to be the truth. <laughs> I had to look at some old pictures to see what number was that. I found an old high school picture where I was wearing number 20. Like, okay, I think that was it. So we retired number 20 for me. And it was just a, a great, great experience. I was able to have my family there. My parents were in town to come to it, which they absolutely loved it. You know, a bunch of my high school friends showed up. Uh, it was kind of like a, a, just a nice little reunion back at the high school uh, where we had so many great memories growing up over there. So it was, uh, you know, it was just a real, really cool honor uh, to be on the field throughout the first pitch, you know, shake hands and talk to a bunch of the high school players that are out there. Uh, and it was just a, a wonderful thing for them to, to do that and retire my number there. Uh, I'm, I'm very blessed. So, you're now working with the White Sox as an ambassador. How did it feel to come back to your hometown team, but just in a different job position? Uh, well, for me, that was, it was just a really cool thing. You know, because I knew I was, I was done being a player, so I couldn't play anymore as much as I would love to. But I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, well... You know, you got to take your turn. You know, I had my time out there. It's, it's other people's young players, their chance to get out there and, and do their thing. You know, and, and to see the field and see that mound and think that, hey, I was on that mound before. That was where I was doing my work at. Uh, just sometimes it's hard to believe that I was actually there. You know, I, I'm like, how the heck did I ever do that? Um, so to be able to come back still and be the ambassador, one of the ambassadors for the team, is just a great feeling um, you know, again, because I'm still a White Sox fan, I still watch the games and all, so it's a, a perfect fit for me to be an ambassador for the team because I live in the area here. You know, I played for five years there. I'm still a huge fan, so it's a great fit for me. Um, and I love being like doing it. You know, you go and you represent the White Sox and you talk to fans and you sign autographs and things. And, and I, I love it because I love talking baseball with people. I love talking White Sox with people, and um, you know, and I love meeting a lot of Southside people too. Because a lot of the White Sox fans are Southsiders, you know. So to, for me to be able to talk with them, because I grew up on the South Side, it's just this is such a natural fit. Um, so I I absolutely love it to be able to get the the opportunity to do that uh, in retirement. 
is just uh, again just, just so cool. Just, I, 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 I can't tell you how many times I, I just pinch myself at all these good things that have happened to me. <laughs> all right, my last question. With how the team has been performing as of this year, what do you think the White Sox need to do to make the playoffs and hopefully bring a championship back to the south side of Chicago? Uh, they need some help, Billy. <laughs> they need some help. Uh, you know, where do you begin on that one? It's, the thing is, they have a lot of talent. They have some great pitching. Uh, it, it would be nice, you know, we'll see what happens at the trade deadline. You know, maybe they pick up some people at the trade deadline, but it would be nice if they had a left-handed starter to mix in there. You know, last year they had a couple of them. This year they have no lefty starters right now. You know, so it's hard to be all right-handed. Even though they're good, they have a lot of good right-handed pitchers. Um, it would help to, you know, to have a lefty in there, but I don't know if they'll get one or not. But, but that's not that crucial. Biggest thing is staying injury-free. You know, they've had just had so many injuries this year, and uh, just one thing after another, guys keep going down and down all the time. You know, a lot of the key players, uh, that's, that, that is what the biggest thing is, to be healthy and get a, a chance to win uh, with your healthy full lineup that you, you've put together. Because, you know, they've had just so many guys out over, over the year here. And, you know, I can't even uh, begin to count all the good players that have been hurt. So the fact that they're a few games under 500 right now uh, with all the injuries they've had is not a horrible thing. Um, I think if you can get healthier and just get a little roll here, fortunately they're in a, in a not great division necessarily. Um, you know, they're only, whatever, five, six games out of first place, I'm guessing, somewhere around there. I think the so last... If, if there were the Yankees... I think the last time I checked... The last time I checked, I think they were only like five games back behind first place. Right. Okay. So let's say they're lucky they're in that division because if they were the Yankees division, they'd be about 15 games back probably because uh, the Yankees are so good over there. So uh, there's extra wild card you know, spots this year. I think there's three wild card teams that will make it. So, again, I, I think they can certainly make the, uh, the, the, the playoffs if they you know, get on a roll. they got to get healthy. And, you know, another thing, too, is they need better defense. And their defense has not been good at all, and I don't think you can win at all with bad defense. So they've got to tighten up that defense somehow, either the current players or get some players who are better defensively. But that's a big thing, too. But a lot of people don't think about that, but it's amazing, especially when you get in the playoffs, every little thing can make a difference. And a little bit better defense can make a difference of winning or losing a game in there. So, I mean, the good thing is they've got some experience, playoff experience, the last couple of years. Um, so they shouldn't be nervous about going to the playoffs. Um, Tony LaRusse has been around a long time, and he's got a lot of experience as a playoff manager. He's done a good job. So, again, the, the biggest thing for sure is, is getting you guys healthy and, and keeping everybody healthy, too, going forward. And if that, that happens, uh, anything can happen. Once you get into the playoffs, once you, you got to get in, once you get in, anything can happen. So uh, they'll have a good shot if their pitching holds up for sure and they stay healthy. All right. Thank, thank you for joining, Don Paul. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. So what do you. And now to the NBA. I got a question for you all. 
Kyrie Irving apparently wants to get out of Brooklyn and go to the Los Angeles Lakers. My question for everybody is, does Kyrie Irving go to the Lakers and will he do well with LeBron James? I have a feeling it may not do well for LeBron, especially that Kyrie got traded after they won their championship back in 2018. Or, I'm sorry, not 2018, 2016. And I I just have a feeling, and after he got traded after the 2018 season, it's just, it might just be a weird feeling that he may be back with LeBron. And I just don't know if the, both Nets and the Lakers have pieces to do the trade. But you guys can always let me know your thoughts. And now to the NHL. For today's team this week, we're going to do the Chicago Blackhawks. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, so the Chicago Blackhawks. In 82 games played, they had a record of 28, 42, and 12 for 68 points, which is 7th in the Central Division. They had a goals for of 219, a goals against 291, a goal differential of minus 72, and they were 4-5-1 in their last 10. Now, if we take a look at the Blackhawks' importance, the stat leaders, and so basically for the Blackhawks' goaltending, they had Marc-Andre Fleury in 45 games played, had a record of 19-21-5, with a 295 goals against and a 908 save percentage, and obviously that was before he got traded to the Minnesota Wild. And then Kevin Lankinen, who had a record of 815 and 6, with a 350 goals against and an 891 save percentage, followed by Colin Delia in eight games played, had a record of 14 and 1, with a 385 goals against and an 899 save percentage, and then Arvid Salderbaum. I apologize if I butchered it wrong. He went 0-2-0 with a 501 goals against and an 863 save percentage. And then if we go to the skaters for the top five in points, Patrick Kane, the obvious number one leader, in 78 games played, 26 goals, 66 assists for 92 points, followed by Alex Dabrinkit in 82 games played, 41 goals, 37 assists for 78 points. Seth Jones, in his first season as a member of the Chicago Blackhawks in 78 games played, had a record of 5 goals, 46 assists for 51 points. Followed by Dylan Strom in 69 games played, 22 goals, 26 assists for 48 points. And then we have a tie for 5th place. The first one is Brendan Hagel before getting traded to the Tampa Bay Lightning. In 55 games played, 21 goals, 16 assists for 37 points. 21 goals, just so nobody thinks I said 25. I said 21, just wanted to throw that out. And the second player that's tied for fifth in points among the team as of this season is Jonathan Taze. In 71 games played, 12 goals, 25 assists for 37 points. And to round out the top five in scoring, or or to add the extra, so the honorable mention, Dominic Kubalik in 78 games played, 15 goals, 17 assists for 32 points. So, now, one of the most obvious questions I have for Blackhawks fans, and I'll charm in, do we see Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane and Alex Dabrinkit get traded 
between now and the trade deadline. I'm basically 50-50. It depends on the offer that the Blackhawks get. And to remind, there have also been a lot of heavy trade rumors on Alex DeBrinkett as of late, which I'm very surprised that they want to move him, especially the fact that I think he should be the one player that they should try build around. And they should probably try to stick around Patrick Kane. I think you could probably build around between him and Alex DeBrinkett. Jonathan Taze, as much as I've appreciated his time in Chicago, it's a maybe. I can maybe see it happening, despite some of his recent comments on how upset he was on the direction the Blackhawks were going, especially after trades to Brendan Hagel, Brandon Saad, and many other players. And then, this will go into part of my next question. Who should be the number one goaltender for the Blackhawks in the future? Because for years, it was Corey Crawford. Before leaving to sign with the New Jersey Devils, before abruptly retiring about two weeks before the 2021 NHL season. So far, Kevin Lankinen or Arvid Soderblom? Because I'm not sure about Colin Delia. He's probably most likely a backup. If the duo between Soderblom and Lankinen don't work out, there's also a possibility they could always draft a goaltender or go sign a big go sign a big name free agent goaltending like like when they're ready to compete. But as of right now, are is Kevin Lankinen the the answer for the Blackhawks number one goaltending for the future? You guys, let me know your thoughts and opinions on that. So to quickly recap this episode, we talked about the interesting fact where Tom Brady. Kyrie Irving wants to go to the Los Angeles Lakers. Does that happen in Major League Baseball? I interviewed Don Paul, former Major League pitcher and 1997 World Series champion. And in the NHL, I just basically talked about the Chicago Blackhawks. So you guys can always let me know your thoughts and opinions on Twitter at BillmanSports and Instagram at BillmanSportsGuy. So thank you for tuning in to episode number 70 of Billman the Sport Guys podcast. I am your host, Billman. Stay tuned for episode number 71. Peace.